Whatever you're doing now, that's even better. I'm just talking like a regular phone. Just like a regular person? Like a regular, a regular guy. <laughs> just a normal, yeah. just a man on the street. <laughs> everybody welcome 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 to the pre-accident podcast i'm your host todd conklin are you excited you probably aren't because i don't know if you recognize the voice in the little intro piece i like to put on you know my little clever show everybody i'm human intro pieces i put on so if you didn't know that voice you don't know why you're not excited yet but you are excited you just don't know you're excited so i can help you sort of fulfill that excitement but that is coming later Let's welcome everybody into the pod, man. It is so good to have you. Um, welcome to 2018. It is a uh, exciting year to be certain we're deep in it. I'm actually just swinging back into the country, and so I'm getting my feet underneath me, as it were, to start my year of, uh, of giving up things. So the year of, of letting go. And it's going to be a great year. I promise you that. Uh, other than that, man, I don't know. I hope everything was great and uh, January is just plugging right along the way it should be. That is exactly right. I don't have any great, um, uh, tragic, horrible travel stories. I don't, I just don't have any. I heard some interesting ones in the uh, gate the other day about a guy who took Ambien and drank a lot at the same time. And pretty much became like a walking zombie up and down the plane. And the flight attendants kind of had to, um, what is that, they, uh, restrain him uh, in his seat because they could not wake him up and they could not keep him from walking around. So that was a good one. I mean, but, it's, but sadly, it's like a third generation story because it's not my story. Thank God. And it's not a story I saw, which also I think I would say, thank God. It's a story that someone else had and shared it in the midst of, and they weren't even really telling me. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I was listening because I act like I'm doing stuff, but really I'm just incredibly bored, which is um, sad. I know you should use that time better. Here's how I manage airport time. I try to make it the smallest amount of time as possible. So, which is going to catch me. Someday that will totally catch me. Like my dream flight would be walk in, go through security, go into the gate, get on the plane. And then they shut the door and say, thank God you're here. And, you know, there's no, at no point at any time do you stop it at Chili's and have kind of an overpriced salad that tastes like the lettuce has been in an open refrigerator for a couple of days. I mean, that's, that is kind of my, that's my dream flight as it were, uh, if I had a dream flight. So you guys know that uh, the uh, Workplace Fatalities book is up on Audible. So, and it's been up there a while. Um, and the book, thank you for all your feedback on that book. Thanks for reading that book. If you've not read it, um, it's, I don't want to toot it, but it's tootable. You should, you should probably look it over. Uh, and if you don't like to read stuff and maybe you're too busy or or maybe you spend a ton of time driving around in a truck, which is uh, often the case, and you do listen to books on tape, um, they highly encouraged me, um, read that, it's kind of told me that I had to put it on Audible, so I did. And it was an interesting exercise. I, I don't know if I'd call it fun. 
and there are a lot of rules. And I don't really like rules that much. But it is available on Audible where, or, or any place else where you get audiobooks. Um, and you can pick it up and, and uh, give it a listen. I, I think it's okay. I mean, I don't. It's hard to. It seems like it's all right. It was. Um, it was an interesting project to do. I enjoyed doing it. It was just there were so many rules. Can't be too loud. Can't be too soft. Got to have room tone. Got to make the noise. You can't have any ten seconds of silence. Blah 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 blah. And you know how rules. Uh, I don't think rules create behavior. I've just. Uh, I'll just come out and say it. Sorry, but. So making those rules didn't really create, they restricted, they constrained me. They didn't ask me what I needed. They told me what to do. And I'd rather be in a, you know, ask me what I need vibe. So you want to talk about today's podcast? Because we should. So today is a big day. And the reason it's a big day is because I think the guest we have for our conversation, who is uh, who's a mighty good guy, is someone you should know if you don't know already. And his name's Bill Hoyle, and for years and years and years, I won't do an introduction for him because I had him do his own introduction because I think it's it's better that way because sometimes it's sort of creepy to hear uh, all the stuff about you because, I don't know. Anyway, and he's a humble man, so it was perfect. But he, he was the lead investigator for the, for the Chemical Safety Board in the United States. He is probably... Um, without a doubt, one of the best investigators that uh, walks the earth. He is a phenomenal human being. He's a great guy. He's a, he's a friend of all, that's for sure. But he's also really smart. And he's really smart in understanding the new view. And he talks about a bunch of things on this podcast. He definitely talks about investigation because that was a big push. People really wanted to hear him talk about sort of how he thinks about investigation. And he, he touches on that for sure. But he gets to a point that I think is really important to him right now, and that's the role the regulator plays in um, in our success, both in the United States and he talks a lot about it internationally. And it, it is it is a really interesting conversation because the relationship that the regulator has with us is very interesting. Uh, and if you're in the United States, you know, it's it's almost a if you look at transactional analysis, it's almost like a parent child relationship. It's a, it's definitely an enforcement, um, it, it, you know, enforcement crime and punishment almost a enforcement relationship. Whereas it changes, it definitely changes in Europe, um, and you guys know that, and and it's even more different still. For instance, in Australia, if you look at that, and 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 the regulator, I think, struggles mindfully just like we struggle mindfully about their role in the shifting thinking around safety. Bill says some things that um, are frightening to me. Like he talks about in the United States when OSHA started in the early 70s that they basically took the best standards that existed in the industry in the late 60s and codified those into law. And then he says something profound, and that is, they haven't really changed those standards since that time. And so the standards we have right now in lots of things are the best standards that could have existed in the late 60s. But the world's a different place now. Oh, man, it's a, a stunningly different place now. Uh, technology alone has changed everything. That, that's certain. But that's kind of what Bill talks about. And he talks about governance and the role of the enforcer and investigating, and it's a great, it is a great little podcast. I think you're going to enjoy it 
a lot. I'll be surprised if you don't. I'm so glad Bill did this, and I want to thank him even before the, the conversation starts because this was a hard one to schedule, no doubt about it. But once I kind of got him over the edge and told him it wouldn't be scary or creepy, and I hope it wasn't scary or creepy to him, um, then then it was pretty easy to do. So so without much further ado, as he says, with the token use of uh, his French right there, let's listen to the conversation with uh, with Bill Hoyle. I, I think you'll, he's a friend of the pod. He's definitely a listener. He's a reader. He he's he's just remarkable, and and I think you'll like it a lot. He's going to start right with his introduction. So, without any further ado, um, here it is, pre-accident podcasters. Here is the conversation with Bill Hoyle. Well, uh, this is Bill Hoyle. I'm a retired senior investigator from the U.S. Chemical Safety Board, where I spent about 15 years and. In- investigating really big events such as uh, the BP Texas City explosion at that refinery, the Deepwater Horizon event in the Gulf of Mexico, and the West Texas fertilizer explosion uh, that killed um, uh, all many of the emergency responders to the fire. What on earth led you to becoming an investigator? Well, prior to going to the Chemical Safety Board, I worked for 15 years for a major oil company in the oil refining division and uh, was primarily focused on process safety management, which uh, is focused on preventing low-frequency, high-consequence events. And when the Chemical Safety Board was created, Uh, They asked me to come on board and help start up the new agency in 1998. And when did you retire, Bill? I retired about three years ago, but I continued doing uh, independent consulting work for a variety of organizations, such as ORC, HSE, and uh, California OSHA, and a number of others. So... So what is, in your opinion, if you could give advice to anybody, what is it, how do you think about investigations? What, what is it that you think makes a difference in, in between a, a bad investigation and a good investigation? Well, one of the most important points is you have to ask the right questions. And in most investigations, the most important questions are never asked. We focus on the day of the event, the physical location of the event, and try to fix that. Whereas in in my experience, the most important underlying factors are not, didn't occur the day of the incident, and they didn't take place in proximity to the incident. Wow. So when you say that to people, what do they say? Because, you know, Bill, they always want to, like, just stick to the facts. Give me, you know, start at the bad thing and work backwards and give me a fact-based causal analysis of this failure. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's understandable. People are wired to want to have easy-to-understand cause-and-effect relationships that are linear. And there's the grand seduction of root cause analysis where people want to identify 
the cause, the single, the singular root cause. But in the incidents that I've investigated, there's never one cause. There's always many causes. And so you try to tell the story of the event. How do you how do you try to communicate or explain um, that context rich background that created the environment in which the event could happen? Well, you, we look at um, in general. There's been warning signs. Often there's been similar events that did not get um, examined or remedied or did not gain much attention. And in other cases, uh, I'll put it this, when it comes to high, uh, low frequency, high consequence events, what can go wrong usually doesn't. You can design and install an inherently unsafe uh, process system. For example, in an oil refinery, and it can operate for 50 years and never have a major incident, yet it was extremely unsafe from the day it was put in. An example of that is at the BP Texas City refinery, they were using an atmospheric vent stack to uh, vent flammable material directly to the atmosphere rather than a flare stack where it's uh, combusted uh, upon uh, exit from the stack. Well, this is an extremely unsafe design, but that piece of equipment had operated for something like 50 years without causing a, a fire or without causing an injury. But on the day of the incident in 2005, that that system led to the deaths of 15 people. Wow. When you say what probably can go wrong probably won't go wrong then it usually doesn't yeah that that's amazing to me in in your experience when you when you look at events are events a function of bad people like violation of process or procedure or events a Uh function of something different well that's a good that's a good question you know the biggest um the most in-depth investigation ever conducted by osha was at BP Texas City. They had 19 inspectors there for that investigation. And they issued their um, highest uh, amount of citations and penalties they had ever issued, over $20 million. But in most of uh, the investigations that I've done, there were no um, OSHA regulation violations that had any had a causal relationship to the incident that happened. That's remarkable. And, I mean, and what's that tell us? Yeah. Well, it tells you if your um if your uh, if your goal or your focus is compliance with regulations, it's not it's not taking you very far. Uh, let me give an example. In the uh, again, I'll return to Texas City for a moment. Um, uh, the 15 people that died were working in or around temporary office trailers that had been placed right next to a highly hazardous process unit. The, and the, uh, the uh, citations that OSHA issued, uh, none of those address the trailers. And the reason is this, the process safety management regulation 
which is mistakenly referred to as a performance-based regulation, only requires activities to be conducted. In this case, the activity of um, doing a safe siting uh, analysis. Well, they did the activity, and so there was no citation because the standard doesn't require that any hazard or any risk is controlled, uh, reduced, or eliminated. It only requires the activity of evaluation. So, so that brings us to an area that I think you're really – so you're one of the smartest guys I know, Bill, by a mile. Um, and, and this, this area of governance and, and its effect on sort of reliable systems or safety or performance or whatever word we want to use, how's that all becoming more and more interesting to you as you think about it more and more, especially in this, this new role where you're sort of backing up and taking a much higher altitude look at the world. Right. Right. Well, you know, lots of good energy is going into a new view of, of workplace safety and reliability and uh, looking at it in new, more advanced ways. The part that I see is missing from that very important effort is we need to put energy into what the safety regulators do and don't do. What they do really matters. And I would say, that the uh, foundation on which a sector builds safety and builds safety excellence, that foundation is actually set in an important ways by the safety regulator. In other words, having a highly competent regulator is good for business. And where you have an incompetent regulator, um, it is very difficult for a sector to build and sustain safety excellence when the safety regulator does not have competent regulations or competent uh, staff to uh, play a leading role on safety performance. But doesn't the regulator, I'm, I'm, I'm recalling James Reason saying the unlikely or the unfortunate lot of the regulator, doesn't the regulator have different goals? I mean, the regulator's job is to is to find infractions, right? Right. Well, in the U.S., that is the primary model. It is a, uh, a cite and penalize and enforce model. In my view, that's not um, not the optimum model. In the safety regulator toolbox, enforcement and penalties are one tool, but they're not the most effective tool. For example, in the United Kingdom, the safety regulator, the health safety executive. Uh, in my interviews with senior leaders of that organization, they describe that the primary role of an effective, competent regulator is to be influential. And being influential is a different model than being an enforcement model. And so that's one reason that um, uh, OSHA has not been successful is this um, and other safety regulators is the over is the uh, over over reliance on enforcement and penalties and finding infractions that we will never penalize our way to safety excellence 
So what do we do to help the regulator become different, to have a more mature understanding? Or- yes. Absolutely. One, one, one conversation that needs to uh, take place among people who care about uh, health and safety is what are the attributes of a competent regulator and why does it matter? And from study in, in Europe, Scandinavia, the United Kingdom, and elsewhere, they have much more conversation. In fact, they often refer, use the term competent regulator, which is not, uh, not generally used in the United States. And so here, here's an example. Our, our health and safety regulations in the U.S. are primarily um, one rule at a time, uh, and uh, rarely updated. In fact, 80% of OSHA regulations are, are nearly 50 years old. They were adopted in 1970-71, and they were the late 1960s version of the consensus good practice safety guidelines of that time, and they have never been updated. That so seems this like a model, job, one that of the problems like, of OSHA... Seems- that seems almost Herculean to update all the regulations. Wouldn't that be crazy? Well, well, that's why. That's why in uh, in the, uh, for example, in the offshore sector of uh, the United Kingdom and the North Sea and the energy industry, they use a different model, recognizing that it's impossible to regulate one thing at a time. So their model is that they use, if you will, an evergreen approach to regulation. And that is whatever the current updated good practice guideline, code, or standard is, there creates a duty upon the companies to evaluate their operations in light of that good practice that's updated and to make sure that they're do what they're doing is uh, as protective or more protective than what is uh, uh, in the in the new guidelines and codes and standards. In this country, uh, I'll give an example out of the BP Texas City refinery disaster that should have brought about significant changes in the safety regulators' um, expectations for safety performance. New, new regulations, new requirements, but nothing changed. Not, not one word in the regulations changed because there, it's too difficult to change the regulations. So the model from the United Kingdom, where it does not require rulemaking to update the expectations for safety um, performance and the expectations of what the regulator uh, Thinks companies and holds them accountable for. So, so first of all, that's depressing as hell, um, and upsetting. Secondly, is is it so? The kind of a chicken and egg question: Do we have to change? Do we need to change the way the regulators think? I don't even know how to ask this. Do we need to change the way the government thinks about its regulators? in order to getting regulators that will think in this more evergreen 
um, not one rule at a time way. I mean, how do you see the path forward? Maybe that's the question I want to ask. Well, absolutely. But it's not just the regulator. It's also how a business community thinks. And in the United States, too often, um, companies think that having a weak regulator that's underfunded with outdated regulations and uh, um, inexperienced staff is a good thing. And and they think it mistakenly think that's good for business. My experience is that's not true. Having a highly competent regulator with up-to-date regulations and a highly qualified staff with lots of experience and competence is good for business. Because when you have that, you raise all boats in a, in a sector. And that, that is good for overall business. Let me give an example. Um, after Three Mile Island event, the nuclear power industry uh, created a, a safety excellence organization called the Institute of Nuclear Power Operators to raise the bar on safety across the entire sector. In the Deepwater Horizon event, the very opposite thing took place. That is, <coughs> the oil and uh, leading members of the oil industry, major international companies, took out countless full-page advertisements in the nation's leading newspapers with the following message. This is not our incident. This was done by a renegade. They didn't use the word renegade, but implying a renegade company. Blame BP. Punish BP. Don't look at us. We have nothing to learn. And by the way, this type of incident could never, ever happen in our operations. That is a very backward view. That is that is a sector. And that and that bad apple view. I mean, we understand that the bad apple view is quick and it's fast and it's easy. But the the ownership industry wide of of the potential failure, especially for the low probability, high consequence events, that's really the message we want to send. Really, starting at our our level. And send it up, I guess, in all directions to to make it happen. Yes, I mean it is a mistaken notion that um, uh, the incidents happen at the let's say the Deepwater Horizon because BP was some off uh, off the scale renegade operator is not true. The the rig, the uh, transocean rig that was doing the drilling. Uh, worked for all the different companies, and it was actually ninety more than ninety percent of the personnel involved were Transocean employees. It was Transocean's equipment, procedures, policies, organization, and in fact, had the very same incident taken place in the North Sea, it would have been known as the Transocean incident, and would have been the primary responsibility of Transocean. It's just a quirk in the Gulf of Mexico um, uh, uh, safety regulations that only the leaseholders held responsible. Held responsible. In the rest of the world, the driller would have been held responsible because of this premise. That is, the entity that has primary control over the risk 
and, and the ability to manage that risk is the responsible party. From the Gulf of Mexico, they held uh, the BP uh, leaseholder with virtually almost sole responsibility. So what do we do? What are you, what are you thinking about? What, what, if you had a world without friction, if you could do anything, how can we change this? What should we be thinking and doing? Well, I, you know, well, I think we need to have a discussion. We, um, in general, there's much to um, siloization. People are functioning in silos. Government regulators are in their silo. Business community community is too often in their silo. Worker organizations, the unions are are in yet another silo. They need to be talking to each other. In fact, they need to be talking to each other all the time in meaningful ways about, because the problems that I'm describing are common problems. They're a problem for all those entities. And they need to talk about how do we move this forward? How do we learn from other sectors and other countries to improve? Let me say something uh, I think is uh, shocking that we often don't think about, and that is the worst performing U.S. commercial airline is much safer than the best performing oil company. Why is that? Wow. So, so we have a lot to learn from other sectors. In fact, in 2007, the Baker panel report, one of its recommendations was that BP and the oil industry need to learn systematically from other major hazard sectors, other sectors such as nuclear power, commercial aviation, aerospace, and others, because when it comes to low frequency, high consequence events, there's not enough learning in just that sector to um, maintain safety excellence. You've got to learn from other sectors, you've got to value it, and you've got to do it all the time systematically. In the oil industry, they don't do that. And in fact, for the Baker panel report, um, the sector that made the most use of it and most closely, this Baker panel report was a safety culture assessment report of BP's operations in the refining sector in the US. That, so you would think the oil industry would have been the prime um, entity that would have studied and made changes from that report, but that didn't, did not happen. But rather, the sector that paid most attention to it was nuclear power sector. Because, and why is that? I would offer that in that sector, there's much more of a learning organization, learning culture value. And in the oil sector, they don't have it yet and they do not systematically learn from other sectors. And they urgently need to do just that. I hear you. And, and I, I have the same observation. There's a huge difference between a learning culture and a culture that believes it already knows. Yeah, yeah, and and you you know this is a, a concept of a certain amount of um, in order to have a learning culture, you have to have a, a humility because if you think you know it all and you have mastery of your domain of your business, uh, you don't think you have anything to learn 
from other sectors, but that's just wrongheaded. Any final words, Bill? Any piece of advice that you would give us to move us forward on anything? <laughs> well, I think we, we very much, uh, lots of energy is going into helping companies improve and to have new ideas, new new ways of thinking about safety. I think we need to take some of that energy and some of that focus and apply that to the safety regulators because it really matters. They're, they're an important part of the system. And in, in my view is you cannot gain uh, real sustained safety excellence in any sector if that sector has an incompetent uh, safety regulation approach and an incompetent safety regulator. Thanks, Bill. That was great. So what'd you think, huh? I told you, Bill Hoyle is... I've thought about how to describe him. An investigator is an investigator. But he's also really thoughtful, and he's thinking about the world sort of beyond him. And this whole notion that the regulator, the governance of what we do, needs attention, love, care, and an opportunity to develop and be smarter is pretty powerful stuff. That's for sure. I won't chat much longer because we're over time, but, uh, you know, there's not really a – we don't really have rules, but I like to keep it to half hour and we're at about a little bit more than that. So thank you for being a part of this podcast. If it's your first listen, you're more than welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you've listened for a while, man, it's good to have you. Tell your friends. Invite other people to subscribe. Listen, listen, listen. Write good comments. That's all I can ask for. Until then, my friends, be brave. Because the world needs more courage right now. That's for damn sure. Um, Have as much fun as you possibly can. Learn something new every single day. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Good goes around and around and around. Good goes around and around.